Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 162, So Begins Your Life of Crime. This week we're discussing season 2, episode 3 of Battlestar Galactica, Fragged, and season 6, episode 6 of Buffy, All the Way. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so here we go with some more BSG. Kind of a, uh, I was going to say two-parter, but I feel like it's like we're into a three-parter now. Like mm, sure. just kind of extended, like without any real break for the first three episodes of the season, right? That's true, um, yeah, and, and season one was pretty episodic, like, standalone. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we haven't had, like, that thing in the first season where it was, like, singular character focus, or it's like, okay, a Boomer episode, and then a Lee episode, and then a Kara episode. It hasn't, it's been more mixed in, I feel like, in season mm. two, so far at least. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I think you had a couple of production notes, perhaps? Yes. Uh, really quick, just wanted to mention um, that this episode uh, won a Visual Effects Society Award for Outstanding Performance by an Animated Character, which is a funny title name to me. Mm. Um, I presume that's for the Cylons. Um, and actually, uh, it beat Valley of Darkness, the previous episode, in the same category. So it, you know, was nominated twice and, and won for this episode. Um, mm -hmm. And I also wanted to mention the writers, um, Don Prestwich and Nicole Yorkin, um, who seem to be like writing partners that like, it looks like they're in their credits. They often produce and write shows together. So they've worked on a ton of other things like um, Melrose Place, Ally McBeal, Carnival, Flash Forward, The Killing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. And actually, this is their only episode of BSG. So, uh, you know, it looks like for some reason they weren't like staff writers for this show, but they're definitely notable writers among many other, you know, uh, popular things. So just sure. wanted to point them out. Uh, so where did you want to begin with the episode itself? Sure. So I know we just did a whole bunch of like outlining and talking about how we were going to like talk through the episode and you're going to throw it out the window and, and, and we're not going to do any of that yet. <laughs> okay. Um, cause I actually, as, as we started talking and, and it was really, as you were reading the intro there, and read the title of the episode, I realized ah. I, I feel like we should stop there for a moment and just talk a little bit about it. Because, um, I mean, I know we have frack, right? We have the mm. great word frack in BSG. Um, and some might take frag as sort of like a variant of that, but right. it has a much more specific meaning um, that comes about and is sort of important for the plot of the episode here, too. Um, I, I know the term from computer games. Um, <laughs> so, like, yeah. in particular, I, I believe it was, like, Duke Nukem where <laughs> I first, like, recall hearing the term, although it's possible I had heard it before then. Um, 
where it just simply meant you know to like kill another player because um, mm. you know it, it was for games where like you were you know pitched against other players and and you would have right you know you would have to like kill them so many times or frag them as you will um right but what i didn't know at that point in which i subsequently have learned is that a frag is actually a term specific to the military um and it it specifically means to intentionally kill someone who is fighting with you you know on your like part of your command unit or you know on the same side as you anyway right um and um just you know all the great research that I've done, i.e. looking it up on Wikipedia, um, definitely had some interesting things. I mean, kind of, uh, they've got like some statistics for different years in like the Vietnam War and stuff there. Right. So I won't go through all of that, but there's definitely um, a, a long and sorted history of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and And it's interesting because I think I mean, I feel like you could, you could certainly take this episode and probably, you know, someone who has more of a, more information about like military history than I do could probably do a lot with it as far, especially with regard to something like Vietnam, where I feel like Hmm. just, again, based on these statistics, it seems like this sort of thing happened quite a bit. And, you know, the question becomes... And and again, we're talking about like intentional, so we're not talking about like friendly fire where, right. you know, someone accidentally gets shot, you know, just because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time or, you know, a bullet went in a direction it wasn't intended or supposed to go or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like this is definitely uh, intentional killings um, and, and intentional killings of superior officers, it seems, right. you know, in particular. So... Um, yeah, just just the whole idea of this, you know, they're out in uh, the middle of the woods, they're up against, you know, well, they're on unfamiliar territory, they're, you know, against people who maybe, well, not people, Cylons, I don't know, are Cylons people, I guess that's what we're trying to figure out, but like, an enemy anyway, that seems at least better equipped for the environment than they are, and, you know, so all of these little parallels that kind of go in, and then you know, this, the PTSD sort of aspect that seems like uh, several of the characters, I think it's easy to, you know, sort of pick out Crashdown as like the commander, but like Callie sort of, you know, hugging herself and not wanting to, you know, Mm -hmm. do what she's being ordered to do. And you've got Selix, you know, off to the side, like, you know, just saying like, this is crazy, this is crazy, you know, and, and then you've got you know, Baltar, who's the civilian who doesn't really know what to think. And, you know, I mean, everything I know about Vietnam is based on movies. So I'm thinking like Apocalypse Now, where you have like, you know, just people who are like, not maybe the best suited for war being put into war and conditions, that kind of thing. And and you get that. I mean, I know we're going to talk through the different characters here as well, but um, just to sort of build on that, like you get like Callie saying like I this I joined to pay for dentist school, you know, right. like right. you know, and and Selix like yeah, like I was trained, but I haven't picked up a gun in a combat situation since you know training, which is however many years ago, and and of course Baltar, who's never even like touched a gun before, kind of thing, and so you know, just sort of all of these different incidents 
um, definitely wanted to sort of step back and, and look at that, uh, you know, aspect of it. Now, the question becomes then, because I haven't really thought this through, because this is just something I was sort of thinking about right as you were doing the intro, <laughs> literally seconds before we started here. Um, what I haven't thought about is is how or if it even applies to the Galactica stuff. So maybe when we start talking about that kind of stuff, we can we can figure out, you know, if and right. how it might apply, uh, you know, more metaphorically, because like nobody actually is killed on Galactica that I remember, I'm right. thinking. Um, so yeah, uh, anyway, just wanted to sort of note that and, and yeah, then we can maybe move on and talk about what we're going to talk about. Any, any initial reactions or thoughts? Um, yeah, uh, uh, yes. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, cause I was thinking the same thing too, and I have not played combat video games much, but, uh, so it was a term I had to look up. Um, but yeah, I kind of was getting the same thing as you. And definitely, I think the connotation, even if it's not strictly in the definition, the, the, the popular connotation definitely seems to be that this is a term applied to the intentional killing of, according to dictionary.com, especially unpopular or overzealous superiors. So like mm. the kinds of ones who are maybe not fit for command kinda, it, like that's kind of the implication is this isn't this is a different term than something like mutiny where like you refuse mm. a lawful order and you know or or disobey your commanding officers you know what they tell you to do or something i kind of feel like the implication puts the sympathy on the side of the person doing the killing, maybe not necessarily absolving them of all the wrongdoing, but the implication is that you're doing this because the officer is somehow unfit or leading you in a wrongful or dangerous direction. Yeah. And so right. the kind of drastic action that is taken by subordinates to save their own lives or save each yeah. other's lives. Right. Needlessly or, or wantonly. Right you know, putting people in danger, like, right. okay, you're in war and there's going to be danger. And sometimes that means, you know, you might have to command someone to do something where, you know, not everyone's going to come back. Right. That's one thing, but this is like, it, it's like the needlessness or, yeah. or the, you know, I mean, we can talk about crash down. Actually, I wanted to talk about crash down first anyway. So, well, um, and we yeah, before and, and do that, but before we sorry, get no. into him specifically too, the other thing, um, you said like all this stuff, you know, about Vietnam goes to war to Vietnam movies. And I kind of feel like any, any military reference I have for me always goes to band of brothers. Um, but, uh, so like, it makes me think of the contrast between that and the Pacific, which was the kind of follow up to it, um, which mm -hmm. focused on the same time period, but on the, you know, a different front of world war two and being, I remember being very struck by the difference there because, in Band of Brothers, it's, you know, the, the power, the power, the paratroopers, you know, and mm. specifically they were guys who volunteered, who, and did so with the, with the reasoning that if I'm going to fight, I want to do it with, a, with guys who want to be there, who are elite, who are good at their jobs and who are going to have my back and, you know, 
yes, they get bum officers every so often, but for the most part, you're there with like the really, you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, experienced and talented soldiers. Um, whereas then when I watched, you know, when they did the Pacific a few years later, it's all draftees. Um, it's all guys who right. got selected, you know, based on age and, you know, you know, not having whatever excuses got you out of it. And you got sort of plucked out of your little town and put in this, you know, uh, really terrifying war. And definitely the Pacific miniseries felt to me more like a Vietnam movie where it's like dissatisfaction is high and incompetence in officers is very high. And, um, you know, having that whole sense of uh, not being able to necessarily trust your leadership in the same way that uh, you could in something like, you know, the paratroopers. So um, that's kind of what this reminds when Callie talks about, I, I just joined to pay for dental school. Like, okay, are they all draftees? I guess not literally, but they're not, they're not career soldiers. Like, you know, right. even Crashdown, who's the officer, is not an experienced career soldier. It's like he had his officer school however many years ago and is sort of scraping back in his memory to see what he can remember from that. Right. The rest of them, it's all the, the hangar deck crew who are technically soldiers, but they're not really combat types. So yeah, they haven't really, they've been taught how to use guns, you know, many years ago, but really don't do that in their line of work. And then yeah, Baltar. So these are, these are not, you know, this is not Lee and Starbuck and all those people. This is like kind of the equivalent of people who've been sort of drafted out of nowhere and put into this, you know, intense combat situation um right. Right. so yeah um yeah i think definitely if you know you could write a really interesting thing about how this kind of uh works in that tradition of of kind of war story and everything and finally before we go into crash down yes i think definitely we need to talk about that as it applies to ty because nobody you know uh Nobody actively, you know, resists Ty yet at this point. Um, but between him and Crashtown, you have two interesting studies in kind of what it, how did it call it? Overzealous leadership and, you know, mm. overzealous and incompetent leadership, um, you know, of guys, you know, getting caught up in their own ideas and leading their crew into really, you know, inappropriate and reckless situations and the people beneath them having to make that decision of, do I obey or do I resist? And if I decide to resist, how do I do that? And what is the right, you know, what's the right call here? Um, so yeah. Um, so yeah, let's start with Crashdown and and the Cobalt, the Cobalt Five, as we're calling Crashdown and the Cobalt Five is our new yeah college band it, it, and everything. So so it's it's actually Cobalt Five and the Cylon Band. That's what is, it is. Is the is official the name. name. Of the, yes. Um, yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, 
Crashdown, yeah. So, um, yeah, he goes a little nuts here. Like, <laughs> definitely, definitely a little manic. Like, uh -huh. he's, uh, and maybe a little is is being what's the opposite of hyperbolic or, or hyperbolic in the An other understatement? way? Um, understated, yeah. Like, uh, so on the one hand, like you get. Like, I don't want to downplay the danger, like, because there is a sense of urgency that they need to do something, right? Mm -hmm. Because as they as they describe it, like, you know, when, when the chief, like, first spots, uh, you know, the Cylons kind of tearing apart the ship to build this, like, uh, sensor and missile array thing, the idea is that, like, oh... They're just gonna like bomb the entire forest and make right. sure they kill us all. Which, again, Vietnam, you know, yeah. Agent Orange and Napalm, and you know, like just kind of like kill everyone in the trees, and then you don't have to worry about them. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't actually have to go in and and do anything. Um, so so like it would be easy to say they could have just hid or run away or whatever, but that doesn't seem to be that. Like there's right. there seems to be a legitimate fear that they all feel of if they don't do something that, you know, they're going to die. Mm -hmm. um, so the problem becomes on, you know, what do they do? And it's, you know, with Crashdown, it, it becomes like, it seems to me that he just has, he just gets this very myopic, you know, sort of tunnel vision going of, you know, he makes a decision and then wants to stick with it no matter what. Mm. And, you know, there is value in that in some cases, but there's also value in admitting that you're wrong. Mm. <laughs> and that's sort of, you know, what I think Tyrrell tries to tell him is like, hey, and not even that he's wrong, but that like the situation has changed. Mm. So, you know, yes, we've we made a plan at some, you know, to attack you know, the missiles when there were three Cylons there. But now there's five Cylons, which seems to be all the Cylons that there are, which means we could run and, uh, you know, go go get the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the dish and destroy that, which would have the same effect because if you destroy the dish, then the missiles can't be guided. And so either way, right. you're in a better spot than you were before. And would even be a safer way of achieving that goal than taking right. on in like right. starting an actual like gunfight and everything. Right. Yeah. Definitely, the odds are not in their favor. Uh, you know, given the the five to f five on five Cylons versus humans, um, especially when you know the Cylon. Like we just came off an episode, right, where we saw the Cylons invading the Battlestar Galactica, where you have, like, trained Marines who, you know, have combat experience and know that the Cylons are, you know, there and what they're capable of, still yeah. getting, like, you know, killed. Mowed down, and, you know, yeah. Along with, yeah. Al along with other people, like, you know, um, Jammer, you know, whatever. But, like, um, here you have, you know, again, like you said, like, there's just people like Callie and, you know, Selix, who just don't have experience or, 
really the training or at least recent experience in training and and baltar of course like we could always just tag baltar on at the end like to anything we say about people without experience or training. right right like pretty much regardless of the context right um <laughs> you know so like we know that a five on five cylon versus human situation is no good even when you have like when, even when they're all like properly trained and right. and experienced marines so this this is not going to go well like kelly's faint you know to draw out the cylons is going to get her killed there's right. n there's no ifs ands or buts about it um and she knows that and you know you would think the others would know that certainly uh tyrell seems to know that mm -hmm. and uh yeah but crashdown doesn't seem to care and and won't listen to reason and it's interesting to me because so it's hard to talk about the characters individually because there is so much. So let's like bring yeah. in Tyrrell because yeah. it's hard to talk about Crashdown without talking about Tyrrell and the reactions. Because on the one hand, you get Tyrrell sort almost constantly like, you know, Lieutenant, can we have a sidebar? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, can we speak in private? Like, can I offer you some unsolicited advice? And yeah, it's it not works. like he's shy about that. It works to a degree, like in in the last episode, it kind of worked, you know, a couple of like, at least even if like the crazy like commands weren't like completely taken back, you know, like there's that sort of egotistic, you know, crash down can't like totally countermand himself, but at least like Tyrrell's able to sort of direct it to say, well, at least let, you know, what's his name, Tarn go with you know, like a couple other people, <laughs> like, you know, don't like send them on a suicide mission here. Like right. at least give, give us all a fighting chance. Um, but like here, you know, crash on just come becomes more and more embedded in his idea. And what's interesting to me is not that, I mean, like Tyrrell questions him, but ultimately like when Baltar starts flipping out and like saying, let's vote. Tyrrell like shuts that down like even more so than like Crashdown's pretty tame in right. that moment compared to what Tyrrell right you know how Tyrrell talks to Baltar and stuff so so at least like for good or ill you know Tyrrell at least has that military discipline to say like as this sort of second in command he's you know able to question and advise and Mm -hmm. uh, or I mean, I th I think maybe question isn't the right word because even he says like, "Oh, it doesn't have to." Be, I'm not questioning your, you know, I'm not questioning your command. I'm pointing out the flaws. Mm -hmm. Like, like it doesn't have to be more than that. Like, I, I'm just right. noting that this may be a flaw in the plan, and and so maybe you know it could be tweaked. Uh, and you know, while he's perfectly willing to do that, he is not willing to let anyone else do. And especially not Baltar, who's a civilian and, you know, has no experience. Although Baltar is the vice president. We should talk about, like, the dynamics of, like, the chain of command and stuff, too. Like, especially when we get to the Black Fist. That's true. Like, and I hadn't thought of that as a parallel of Baltar as the, you know, civilian. But, like, not just any old civilian, but, like... Rep representative of the government in this situation with these military types as analogous to Roslyn 
amongst yeah. Thai and all the other military types. And do to what extent do they owe these people allegiance or not? Or are they subject to the same orders as the rest of them? Um, yeah, and I think that seems to be like what really sets chief the chief off and gets him being even kind of like scary and intimidating to Baltar is um, when he says, let's take a vote, you know, and the well, notion of, okay, questioning his orders, pointing out flaws, gently nudging him and suggesting other things. Those are the kind of things that maybe subordinates can get away with, but throwing out the hierarchy altogether is right. absolutely so far over the line that it, it makes chief angrier than anything else, you know? Like, all the stuff that Crashdown, all the crazy stuff that Crashdown's been doing doesn't get him as angry as Baltar suggesting, let's take a vote. <laughs> yeah. So, and, like, my question is, and I don't I don't know the answer, so I feel free to weigh in. Not, I mean, not, it's your podcast, too, so you can talk. But, <laughs> um, like, like, I don't, but I'm not, like, trying to get at a particular answer or whatever, but I, I'm curious as to what his motivation there is it actually the suggestion of taking a vote and that he wants to uphold the hierarchy and i think i think probably that's the case to some degree mm-hmm. or or maybe and mm-hmm. is it that he recognizes how dangerous crashdown has become in his own sort of manicness Mm. manicity manicness Mm -hmm. uh of and so by being the one to like overreact and shut baltar down Mm -hmm. he's kind of saving him in a way (laughs) because then it's not like crash down pulling out his gun and shooting baltar Mm. instead you know which we learn is a real possibility given that he puts a gun to callie's head so like right like maybe maybe Tyrrell recognizes that before anyone else. And so this is another attempt to like divert the situation and right. nip that in the bud by shutting Baltar down and mm-hmm. upholding crash now, like, like by, you know, by Tyrrell's own questioning and offering of advice. Now he's swinging the other way to sort of offset any suggestion that he's, you know that the, that he's going to mutiny against Crashdown, like right, right, and so giving the complete opposite impression of complete and utter loyalty in that moment, right. I don't know, and and it could be like maybe Terrell doesn't know either, <laughs> like right. you know, like it 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 could totally just be like, hey, it's an in the moment thing, and so may you know maybe there's a little of both those things, maybe one or the other, but we you know it's hard to suss out. Right. In any, like, clear direction. So. Well, and, yeah, that's true, because I feel like the that hierarchy can be there. Um, it can certainly be, like, abused by the people in power, but it can also be there in a way as, as protection for the people underneath. Because, yeah, like, if Crashdown is considering Baltar and Callie as part of his crew, and if they refuse orders, he feels justified in you know, acting with sort of swift military justice, you know, and like using all of his authority to get them to do what he wants. 
So there could be a motivation of Tyrrell saying, let me tell you how this works. And you may think you get to do what you want, but let me, you know, tell you that that's not the case. Um, you know, and for everybody's safety and sanity, this is the way it, it operates and everything. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that when it comes down to it and, you know, Crashdown does go all the way and has his gun out and is seemingly going to, you know, execute Callie right then and there. It's not the chief that, you know, pull, puts a stop to it. You know, it's Baltar. Um, you know, if... If the one more second had gone by, what would Chief have done? Would he have let it happen? Would he have shot him himself? Would he have just tackled him? Would he, like, I don't know. I mean, we don't get an answer to that question. Um, but, like, it's Baltar that ends up protecting her, not not the Chief. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, again, it's hard to tell motivations there. Like, you know, is that, you know, on the one hand, okay, does that mean that Baltar is capable of things that Chief isn't, you know, capable of killing somebody or that kind of violence? Um, or does that mean that Chief, is that a pointer to the Chief being more confined by those military rules? You know, whereas Baltar in that sure. moment, his advantage is that he couldn't care less about military hierarchy right. and so he's right. the only one who's enough outside of that system to say well this is wrong and i can stop it um and i again yeah. i don't know th that there's one answer or maybe it's a little bit of both but um yeah i mean no i think that's a good point about baltar sort of not having the same constraints because you're right like like there's definitely, I mean, that's, that's the, I almost said mixed blessing. I don't, I don't know if that's quite the right term, but like, that's the, there's the constraint of like the military order in that, like, you know, you have a very definite chain of commanding kind of thing, but you're right. Like that does also provide some buffer for like the lower people to have like maybe two or three people be you know, between you and the crazy one, if it ever comes to that, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I've, I've never been in the military. Um, my father and brother both were, but you know, I don't really know that much about their experience or, or what it is. Like I said, most of what I know is from like TV right. <laughs> and stuff. So yeah. Same um, anyway, the, so yeah, with Tyrrell, I mean that's a good question of would he have would he have pulled the trigger because I mean Callie is one of his people right like mm -hmm. and you know we'll we'll get at hints at maybe their future relationships and stuff too but mm -hmm. like but like you do get the sense that like there's there's some genuine feeling between yeah. them as well like more than just you know i mean as friends or whatever but right you know definitely 
you know, more than just, you know, you're one of my people, but they work together and, and all of that, you know, for however long. And, and, you know, Tyrrell's already lost people and, and whatnot mm -hmm. on this mission. So, and, you know, Callie's fear and whatnot is way more rational than Crashdown's insistence on attacking a fortified position you know like right. you know of of the things that of the crazy of the things that are crazy that are happening right now like crash down is the most crazy and so right you know seems to be most in the wrong as well and so it, i mean it's hard to say if tyrell like maybe there was another hair split second before, or maybe it would have ended up being like Tyrrell and Crashdown would have shot at exactly the same time or kind of thing. But certainly there's more hesitation that Tyrrell has than because you hear a gunshot mm -hmm. and Tyrrell still doesn't shoot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like he could have thought the gunshot was, uh, uh, Crashdown shooting Callie. So like, right. Even at that moment, he doesn't shoot. Right. And, you know, then you find out that it's Baltar and, and that seems to be sort of the best of the possible outcomes there. Um, mm -hmm. Not exactly a Mexican standoff, but you do have three guns being pointed at people, you know? So, right. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway. So I, I don't know, like it, it, it is a tough, thing to sort of wonder like what what would Tyrrell do you know what WWTD uh and we don't yeah. really get an answer to that but I mean right I'm I'm okay with Baltar having been the one to sort of shoot him so sure. so then we get like I don't I don't have a lot to say about Callie and Selix other than just like we get each of them again sort of like in their own sort of PTSD. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not really post. It's like active trauma. M M <laughs> yeah. MTSD, like middle of you know trauma, <laughs> stress, whatever disorder. Um, yeah, like I mean, it's definitely like in the moment. Like they're both kind of like, yeah. Callie, Callie knows she's gonna die, and so like even like the thought of a gun to her head doesn't like convince her to go. Like. Because maybe that'll be quicker, <laughs> you know what I mean, or right. or something. Like I'm trying to rationalize it. It's not necessarily a rational situation. But right. I almost even think of it as like a just deer in headlights. You're so sure. terrified that you can't move, you know, and sure. and no amount of guns pointed at her from any direction is going to get her to move, you know. <laughs> like I don't think it is rational in that moment of just you're just paralyzed. That's kind of and that's yeah, like. Whether that's, I don't know what it, what you call it if it's not post-traumatic stress, but like that's to me definitely how I read it as just being the, the you know, the panic and the paralysis of, of that moment. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Baltar shoots crash down. The Cylons hear the shot, which pretty much obviates the whole argument anyway, because 
hey, right. now there's Cylons chasing us. And, and there goes our advantage. And now and... there's more and now there's more of them than there right. are of us because right. now we're down to four people. So uh yeah, maybe let's maybe let's try to figure out what's going on here. But um luckily they they destroy the device which saves the ships that then can come back and save them. Mm-hmm. Um they get rescued and all of that. And I, I like Tyrrell's moment of kind of Rambo, like where you kind of, he, oh, yeah. he even thinks for a moment, did I just single-handedly take out like, and blow up an entire yeah. squadron? Like, and then it, like, whoa, this had explosive rounds in it. Yeah. Like, like I'm amazing. And then he turns around and, Oh, you know, there's the surprise, like rescue Raptor. So that, that brief moment where you're not quite sure what's going on. And it seems like chief is this like, you know, amazing sort of superhero. And then you kind of see, oh, well, he had help. But, um, you know, it's kind of funny, but still, like, works as a kind of, like, hero moment for Tyrrell, I think. Um, yeah, no, it, I, that's definitely a, a nice moment, a good moment there. Um, and it's, I mean, that, so you sort of talk about Tyrrell being the same one throughout the episode, but that's his moment of crazy, right? Like, just, sure. You know, yeah. All, all out, you know, no holds barred. Just right. Breaks his and cover and clip. just, yeah. 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 Uh, and it works. It's just not because of him. Right. Right. <laughs> um, which maybe validates the craziness a bit. Right. Um, or confirms the craziness, not validates it. Anyway, yeah, so the rescue, with the rescue, though, like, I definitely want to bring up that moment where Lee asks how Crashdown died, because mm-hmm. then you get, you get um, Baltar lying mm-hmm. and, you know, saying it was, oh, he was leading the charge and whatever, which is not true. He was trying to force Callie to be the one to lead the charge and, you know, uh holding a gun to her head and, 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 you know, about the shooter. Um, and Tyrrell going along with it. Mm-hmm. And so I can understand Baltar's motivation in a way, uh, the self-preservation aspect of if they find out I shot crash down in the back, then there will be questions. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. that could not look good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyrrell, I would I would put a different motive to him, and mm-hmm. I I mean it seems okay to me, but certainly feel free to disagree. Again, it's your podcast too; you can say what you want. <laughs> um, no, but uh, for Tyrrell, like it seems like more like preserving the memory of an otherwise good guy. Like you know, like yeah. yes, he went crazy in the midst of like combat and the struggles of you know command but all things considered we like crash down like he's always right. been a pretty decent guy like right nothing nothing really to complain about he's kind of actually he's kind of affable like overall he just kind of was a bit goofy and and you know seemed like yeah a pretty decent guy other you know this situation notwithstanding um right so I, I mean, that's just my guess. Like, we don't really get the... Mo- like, neither of the motivations are revealed to us directly, but 
those would be my guesses for their two motivations for lying in that situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's kind of how I read it too, is, is, uh, there's no, uh, you know, there's not necessarily ill will for crash down apart from this recent events that, you know, um, as far as command, you know, and the tradition know that he, you know, he, he, died a hero just like the rest of them, you know, in a kind of crappy mission and everything. Um, so yeah, yeah. And, and I think the most interesting thing about that moment is kind of the ambivalence of it, you know, on all sides of, you know, for Baltar on the one hand, the kind of, you know, him too, you know, not coming forward and saying like, Oh, I saved Callie from this, you know, awful officer, but saying, no, he died, you know, leading the charge like a hero. But then also, you know, the other side of it, like you said, being that, well, there's self-interest there that, um, you know, he wouldn't be congratulated by everyone for this thing, even if he felt like it was the right thing to do, you know, and the same thing for Chief, like, okay, wanting to protect Crashdown, but you also get the sense of some hesitation from Chief, like, he maybe thinks for a minute about should I contradict him and, and chooses not to. So there's at least some internal conflict there of, okay, what is the right answer here? Um, and yeah. he makes a choice, but it wasn't necessarily a clear cut, you know, decision for him. And same thing. I think even with Callie, who's the one who had her life saved by Baltar, there's even like a little look from her, like, not sure how to feel about the fact that they have to lie in order to, you know, yeah. like maybe they're, cause that's part of their hierarchy and military rule too, is don't lie to your superior officers when they ask you a question, you know, and now they're all part of this little cover up about what really happened. So them not being quite sure how to feel about that. Um, sure. Sure. So, and it's unclear, like, should Baltar be, cause I'm with you. Like, I'm happy that Baltar did it too. Like in a sense, okay. If Crashdown was going to kill Callie, then it seems like this was the best of all possible bad decisions. But are we supposed to think of this as a good moment for Baltar? You know, is this a heroic Baltar saves the day moment or is this a like oh yeah. well maybe not you know and murder is my heritage and all that um it's I don't I yeah. think it kind of walks the line it doesn't really I don't know that the tone of the episode really tells you how to feel about it one way or the other yeah no and and definitely the conversations with head six like, you know, talking about like, yeah, murder and human heritage and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, you know, the killing, like, on the one hand, the the killing is completely unnecessary because it's crash down going crazy, which is like leading to the killing. On the other hand, again, going back to the idea that like, they're the ones being threatened. So there, there is some action that needs to be taken. Mm. It's just, you know, maybe Crashdown's choosing poorly which actions need to be taken. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, like there is going to be killing one way or the other. It 
seems almost certain. Um, it's just that, you know, the killing we would rather have be on the Cylons side because they're the ones sort of being the primary aggressors. But as it gets more and more complex, like, yeah, it's hard, it's hard really to fault Baltar for killing mm. Crashdown as, you know, if, if we're to think that, you know, Crashdown is sort of needlessly putting people in danger. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, so in that instance, like you do sort of want to get Baltar the, you know, mm -hmm. award or the medal or whatever for, for doing that. But at the same time, like, yeah, like it kind of does prove Head Six's point that, you know, and so there's also that, that sort of prophecy or whatever of one of you will turn against the others. Well, kind of a lot of them turn against each other. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like what, it, so what does that mean? Is that referring to Crashdown turning against them? Mm -hmm. Or is it Baltar shooting Crashdown? Like, mm -hmm. or even Tyrrell, you know, kind of being, being the one to always question Crashdown and right. looks like he was going to turn against them. I mean, right. You, you or Callie refusing to go along with the plan. Like, sure. in a way, they all kind of, at one point or another, choose, for good or bad, yeah. choose each, to do their own thing rather than go with what the group is telling yeah. them to do. Yeah. E each of them is sort of, in turn, the one who turns against the other. So, like... Right. Yeah. So... Right. Which is, I think, kind of why, uncomfortable as it may be, they all go along with the kind of lie and the cover-up, because... None of us get out of this looking good. So, like, the less said, no. we better. Crashdown's a hero. Let's go home. You know, like, that's really just the easiest thing we can do in this whole situation. Um, that gets everybody out of it with the least amount of fuss. Um, yeah. You know. Well, and then even even the murderous heritage, I mean, you could even, like, like this is the cyclical, you know, the, the vicious cycle, right? So you have... Yes, okay, the Cylons are the ones right here immediately sort of, you know, putting them in danger by building these missile things. But then, you know, Head Six's point is, you taught us well. Like, <laughs> we're your children. So, like, if you want to get sort of grandiose and, and out of the immediate individual atrocities going on, like, there is that sense of, hey, this extends mm -hmm. however far, you know, as long as humans have been around. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the murder is my heritage you know right all right so we should probably talk about the rest of the episode at some point here too, yes instead so of yeah the law stuff speaking um, of of uh leaders abusing military hierarchies yeah <laughs> so so remember when i said uh, that that Ty kind of does a good job in sort of crisis <laughs> circumstances. I take it all back. <laughs> take it all away. No, I but, mean yeah, like ev every everything that Ty yeah. that we could praise Ty for comes in undone. The last episode is like, or I mean, really the last couple episodes, I guess, is completely yeah, it's completely un unwound here. So um, ah, but here's. Here's a question. 
like a qualifier to that was you said he does a good job in crisis situations. I feel like maybe that in this three part opening, that's what's starting to change is mm. the immediate crisis. We're coming out is, of crisis is going away. Yeah. And now we have to get back into daily routine and paperwork and people making requests that are annoying to him and, you know, sure. administrative oversight that has to be happening and all this kind of, and interacting with civilians who are always oh. high on his list. Um, civilians. And so I feel like that's what starts to change here. And it all very quickly unravels. Um, like all yeah. the good will that he bought, you know, in the first two episodes pretty much comes crashing, crashing down by the end of this episode. Sure. All great points. And yeah, I think you're right. Like the crisis is the key qualifier in that sentence of, you know, now that the crisis is over, like he even forgets, right. That <laughs> they're on cobalt. Like, there's people still on cobalt. Yeah. Like, we lose He's a like plane and Lee, nobody like, tell me. And like, everyone kind of stares at him like, um. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that actually reminds me of the story that um, when my grandfather died, uh, low these many years ago, like in the early 90s, um, my grandma, we were, like, my family was all at her house at one point, and my grandma was telling people, you know, oh, this is over here and that's over there and, you know, getting lunch ready. And, and she stops and goes, oh, look at me talking to everyone who died and left me boss. And we all looked at her and it was like, grandpa, yeah. grandpa's the one who died and left you boss. So like, this is, this is like the tie, like completely forgetting, like, right. Yeah. Oh, there's people on Cobalt stranded. Like right. what you lost the plane and didn't tell me about it. Well, you should have known. Cause you know, you were yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. Well, and the immediate anger at that, like how quick he is to, to anger. Yeah. Like it, well, it's not just, oh my gosh, we've been so wrapped up that like, or, or what did I miss while I was out of the room? Give me, somebody give me a briefing. It's this thing of, it, it's that accusatory tone of you've all screwed right. up. And didn't tell me anything, and you know, which is obviously like the wrong assumption. But right. well, well, not only that, but then when Lee says like, "Oh, it'll take however long to get whatever information they're trying to get," you know, right. that's like too long. It's like suddenly right. they're not doing their job well enough, and it's like we have people trapped down there. You know, we got to go save them, and it's like, oh, you mean the people you, you forgot, forgot about, about <laughs> minutes ago, yeah. like. Yeah, what 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 exactly is going on? Um, but yeah, like so, the annoyance that you pointed out is is definitely the great. Like so, we're back to, you know, uh, our our standing paradigm of you know someone versus someone, and in this case, it's uh, Ty versus everyone, right? So we have, um, you, you know, we have Ty going around just being annoyed by all these people. Like I, I love like. I love how he like walks through like half of the Galactica talking to Billy. And then he's like, why aren't you in the brig? <laughs> like, <laughs> why are you just walking around? And Such Billy's a like, funny moment. Because no one Nobody put, put me in there. Like, he's, and, and Billy, the Billy's is, confusion, like, am I supposed to be in the brig? I don't yeah, remember like, being put in the brig. Yeah, I, I wasn't arrested or anything. And, and Ty's like, assumption that everybody's in the brig. Like, <laughs> well, and, 
And 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 the funniest part is that Billy doesn't end up in the brig. Right. It's not like like Ty doesn't say, "Get this man in the brig." He just right. like walks away, right. and Billy's still free to like wander about the Galactica. Okay, like whatever. Um, but like this just like shows like Ty's state of mind, and it. Right. But it is that one annoyance to the other. It's like he's annoyed. It's not just that he's annoyed. He's annoyed <laughs> about things that are completely fabricated by his own state of mind and yep. whatever. Like like the assumption that Billy should be in the break. Or the assumption that Lee should be in the break. Even though he had given <laughs> Lee explicit orders, you know, right. saying like that he was in charge when he's not in the break. Which, which right. is a really bizarre dynamic. Right. Like you're bad enough that I have to lock you up. But... I need you to help me out. So I'm not going to lock you up. And in, in fact, I'm going to put you in charge of right. this very important things that need to be done. Right. So like, like it even shows like maybe Ty is not thinking all that straight anyway. Right. Um, right. But yeah, so we get like Ty versus all these people to maybe pull it back a little and like come at it at a more orderly approach in the last seven minutes that we have <laughs> left, um, which will probably exceed. Um, We've got we've got to start off. Let's start off with Ty versus Roslyn, um, which is really starts off with the Ty versus Billy that we were just mm-hmm. talking about. Um, but you have, you know, this Roslyn still in the brig uh, and not just in the brig, but getting sick now because she hasn't been getting her medications right. to help fight the cancer that we know. And now everyone knows, right. or at least a lot more people know about by the end of the episode. Um, so. Yeah, she's, I mean, actually, do we even see, does Ty actually go in and talk to her? Other than when he brings the quorum in, which, he, I don't know that he really even talks to her. I don't her, think so. Right? He like just gets Ellen's report, um, you know. Right. Because it's Ellen who kind of says, like, maybe she should see the quorum because, you know, she's going to lose a lot of credibility if she does that. Um, yeah. So, th- So this is like... He tossed her down in Oubliette, and now, like, she's just rotting in the dungeon. Like, right. you know, there's there's no... Uh, in his mind, there isn't a conflict here, because eh, it's already been taken care of. Right. She's, she's off in the brig. Like, I don't care anything more than that. Um, right, he, and he also, even says in the beginning, like, she's not the president anymore. Like... Like right. her, even her status, not just like you're the president who's been put in jail, but like your, your status right. in the fleet has been revoked, you know? Um, right. It's not like an exiled king or something where he's still the king, but he's just like on an island somewhere. Right. <laughs> like, right. You know, he just happens to be like not on the throne and there's someone else pulling all the strings. Like, right. like this is, yeah, to tie anyway. Um, she's definitely completely out of commission. But you do get Billy going to visit her which hey again like i had the chance to throw him in the brig and he didn't right. so like that's right. kind of his fault you you've got the guard who's pretty sympathetic you mm-hmm. know to her and then you've got you know ellen coming and visiting her to um not sure what provoke things or whatever right. um and you know like ellen that's just what she does she just kind of is there and takes advantage of situations and certainly tries to take advantage of, of Rosalind's mm-hmm. uh, state of mind, which 
you know, again, we're talking about crazy people this episode, right? Um, this is a different sort, you know, this is sort of a medically induced, mm-hmm. uh, not crazy in a, like, you know, more, more along the lines of like, um, Alzheimer's or, or mm. dementia or something like that, like where, you know, it's not, it, it's not sort of a, it, it's not based on like being in battle. It's not sort of, uh, I almost said it's not like a physical thing, but it is kind of a physical thing. You know, it's, it's, it's her body shutting down and, right. and not, you know, uh, sort of the response to the cancer and whatnot. Um, which actually, apparently there's, a, there is such a thing as what they call chemo brain, which hmm. based on chemotherapy and, and, you know, the drugs that you're given does affect your mental capacity, your, your, you know, even like things like reaction time and, and all those sorts of things. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, again, like, and you know, she's taking a fictional substance called Kamala extract. So right. who knows what sort of, what sort of you know, side effects that has. Um, but apparently there's, you know, something going on there. So, um, well, and you, I hadn't thought about it, but you bringing up that the craziness is a theme in this episode, that the way that her craziness intertwines with her role as this prophet and this religious mm. figure um, that, sure. you know, Ty and Ellen want to expose her craziness because they, uh, they presume that it will discredit her to the rational, you know, uh, politicians and press and whoever of, oh, that, you know, she was clearly unstable. Right. It's a good thing that they got her out of power because who knows right. where she would have led us. Um, and uh, it kind of backfires. I mean, on the one hand, yes, Rosalind is much more coherent by the time she actually speaks to the quorum. So that's part of it. But she talks fully about her, you know, her understanding of the scriptures and her kind of divine role which is all the stuff she was rambling about in her sort of you know drug-induced uh you know or her withdrawal symptoms anyway and that's the thing that it inspires the crowd rather than you know turning them off now she's suddenly not only is she a good leader she's like a divinely appointed messianic leader um you know, so they have a yeah. totally different understanding of her delusions than what Ellen and Ty think they're going to have. And all right. So, yeah, let's talk about that. The quorum for a bit, because when they when they do come in, like on the one hand, you definitely get like, um, yeah, what is it? Geminon that's supposed to be like the like. Right. Like the fundamentalist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, right. Literal right, the, the, truth of the. Yeah. They're the Kobalian fundamentalist and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people. Yeah. Um, so, so you definitely get like the, you know, the woman, she's the one who knows the scriptures and, you know, can do all that. But, but you also get like, like you get some who maybe are like, maybe not as fundamentalist or whatever as she is, but who still kind of like, you can tell they're kind of like believers or whatever, like, mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, like I never really believed it before, but maybe it could be true, you know, like that kind of thing. But then you also get like, like, I don't get the feeling that Zarek's a true sure. believer. Right. But he's calculating, like, oh, it would make sense if I agree with this contingent of, you know, people for the moment to kind of further my own, right? you know, whatever as well. Right. So, it's, it's politically 
convenient to go expedient, along with this yeah. with this sentiment for the moment, even if I don't totally right. buy into it myself. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean, you totally like you can see Trump maybe being that way. Like sure. I you know, I'm not one to cast aspersions on anyone's true religious beliefs. It wouldn't surprise me to find out he's maybe not as religious as devout some other as people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh whatever whatever that may be. I'll just put it that way. But yeah, like like you could totally see like Zarek being one to say. And I also think like with the quorum like you definitely saw like it it was close in the vote for Baltar mm-hmm. as vice president. Like there you know, it's not like it's not like they agree on everything, right? Sure. Like they're a typical political body that yeah. has differences of opinions and whatever. Except in this, like, and I feel like you see this even today where, you know, there are some things where you just still have strong bipartisan support. And those things are like, yeah, like maybe, uh, you know, it's not a good thing to like give the president more power, you know, over certain aspects of government than the legislature has or whatever Mm -hmm. like you know there's there's those certain things where it's like the checks and balances are there for a reason and when when you know we're facing like martial law and the imprisonment of the president like we're kind of all on the same ground as this you know like everyone's for free speech like you know everyone's for you know those sorts of things now maybe we quibble about what exactly free speech means when we're not under threat right. or whatever, but when it, when push comes to shove, right. we're kind of all, you know, we're all part of the quorum and we don't want to get thrown into the brig just like she did. So we're right. kind of all standing together here. Uh, well, you know, how, however that wit may or may not end up working out. And, and I feel like we're back to our kind of never tie, uh, you know, reading because <laughs> sorry. don't say stuff like that. Right. When I'm taking the thing. Because oh. I'm getting a sense of like, hashtag, I'm with her, you know, like, you know, okay, right, do right. they all totally agree with Roslyn on all every individual Roslyn. issue? Yeah. No, yeah. but to stop Ty, you know, we agree that we right. don't like Ty. We may not totally agree how much we like Roslyn, but, you know, if it's between yeah. the two, we'd rather have the slightly loopy Roslyn in charge as our lawfully you know, appointed president than martial law under Colonel Ty. Um, you know, so yes, in the moment, even if we're not all 100% converted to Pythia, it, this, is, this is the kind of, you know, movement that's going among the quorum and the press and everything. Right, right. So, um, and then we get Rosalind's speech, which, yeah, like just definitely like sort of even solidifies all of that like yeah she said yep i'm 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 looking like i found cobalt so right there scientific proof that like i'm the leader you know (laughs) yeah uh, prophesied in these ancient texts uh oh and by the way remember that rogue pilot i sent back to get the arrow yeah, she's coming back and we're gonna find out where where earth is next and all of that so oh oh but I'm not dying. Actually, I, I am. And, oh, this doctor who wasn't even on the ship when I was in prison uh, can verify that. So, right. you know, there's no cahoots going on there. Uh, who happens to be a military doctor, so why would he lie about that? 
Like, right. you know, right. like just all these things where it's like, right. you know, maybe not the most scientific evidence ever, but certainly for like, <laughs> I didn't mean it when I started the sentence this way, but certainly for a body of legislators, <laughs> it's sufficient proof, <laughs> regardless <laughs> of whether it's scientific or not. <laughs> um, Touche. So, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Anyway, so. Yeah. All right. So. Roslyn and the quorum we've hit up. So then you've got like, if it's not bad enough, like, okay, you, you get that like Ty, Ty is like channeling Cordy, right? It's you're annoying. I'm annoyed. Like, you know, <laughs> this is a very, a very Ty is annoyed episode. Yeah. Um, at least from, from the Galactica side of things. It's not bad enough though, that he, he's just annoyed by like, the politicians and you know whatnot, but also like his own crew right. is like getting really getting on his nerves. We already talked a little bit about Lee, like yeah. Lee, why aren't you in the brig? Because uh, you put me in charge here. Like, oh yeah, but you like you should be in the brig still, or what's going on? Like, and then yeah, again, like questioning like what's going on, and you're not doing enough, and maybe I will throw you back in the brig, and blah blah blah. <laughs> um, but you also get like. So you get D calling him to be like, oh, hey, by the way, here's what's going on. Things you might want to know about, like, oh, you know, the press demanding, you know, this or that or the quorum demanding this or that. And ties off drinking in his room and gets annoyed at her for calling mm -hmm. to, like, interrupt his drinking. And then, of course, gets annoyed at the press and the quorum. And all that. Right, right. And, Gives them a completely and, useless answer, you know. Tell them yeah, to shove their request up their butt, something like like some. Direction right. they cannot possibly use in right. actual, any actual, you know, reality. Yeah, something you would, I mean, even like not drunk Ty would not ever say that, right? It's mm -hmm. just, he's com being a complete jerk. And, and they know, it. like, D knows just by the sound of his voice and right. what he's saying, like that he's drunk and, and not surprised or whatever. So, yeah, um, I like that little exchange where she sort of mimes like the, the drinking to and yeah. you know gator's roll of the eyes because you get that like you know yes we're not used to having drunk ty be in charge of everything but on the other hand right. this is nothing new and we have a little shorthand to kind of like oh yeah it's this again like you know yeah, it kind of lets you know this. yeah that this is you know something that they've sort of you know, they're annoyed, too, at having to, like, take orders from, you know, and they've been doing it for who knows how long. Right. Um, and so, and actually, so just talking again about the parallels between this and the COBOL storyline, like, this brings up, like, again, we're at a much different reaction than Tyrrell and Crashdown, right? Like, mm. Tyrrell will question the order but he'll do it sort of off to the side and he'll do it respectfully you know even even in the face of like being told that he's being irrational you know what does he say he's like i i don't believe i've lost my whatever right. it is like my sense of right you're you know, cool or something cool or whatever yeah yeah that's what he said i, I don't believe i've lost my cool and crash sounds like well i disagree i disagree like, hot-headed yeah <laughs> um and so like it's it's not that there's no respectful like may I talk to you in private, sir? Like going on here. This is just ties drinking again. What are we gonna do? Kind of thing. Um, and 
Yeah. So I, you know, I mean, again, this might just be like you were saying uh, a function of, you know, Ty, Ty's now not in crisis per se. And he doesn't really, he doesn't really know how to command Mm -hmm. at least long term. Mm -hmm. Like he knows how to order. Mm-hmm. but not command if that makes a sense right. like to make that distinction like he knows how to give orders right but he doesn't really know how to like build a command and like inspire mm-hmm. you know yeah loyalty and anybody that kind of stuff. yeah yeah um so yeah um and if that's not bad enough so we've got ty versus the politicians and then ty versus his own crew at the very end, we get Ty versus basically the entire rest of the fleet as he's declaring martial law. Right. And this is like his, again, like this is completely a move of annoyance because now it's, I hate the press. And so I'm just going to friggin' piss them off. Right. And declare martial law. And that'll give me the power to do whatever the hell I want without anyone questioning me, which Again, like if we're talking about leaders going crazy, like we know this isn't true. You know people are still going to question you and not just going to like roll over lightly. Right. But like this is just an excuse now for you to start doing what Crashdown was about to do and start shooting people who disagree with you. Right. Basically. Right. Or locking them up or, you know, the threat of force in some way. So, you know, actually the more I think about it, the more parallels there really are between the two of these. And so that brings us back to the question of, fragged Hmm. how does that fit in with galactica because in a way like all right maybe it's not maybe ty doesn't get you know a shot in the back but Mm -hmm. like he's sort of fragging everyone else right sort of the double entendre that you can take that (laughs) sentence in you know like or yeah no finish finish your thought no no i i was just gonna ramble go ahead (laughs) um or the question, since it's sort of, since it's sort of left to be continued rather than wrapped up like the Crashdown storyline is, um, to what extent would any of them be justified? You know, um, maybe in in, yeah. in murder or it like in there are uh, lower degrees of disobedience or whatever. But like, okay, if we're setting up as Ty is like a big version, the macro version of what Crashdown was doing. Okay, what, uh, you know, because again, in military rule, it's not mutiny if it's an unlawful order, you know, so what, what, what constitutes unlawfulness from what Ty is doing? And to what extent will or should the people under him be, you know, resistant to that, you know? Um, well, and we've already seen Lee put a gun to his head. Sure. Like, you you get the sense that, like, as soon as Lee might find out about this sort of thing, like, he might be the resistance. (laughs) Right. He's already in the break for mutiny. So, um, I mean, on his time anyway. Right. Right. But right now he's not. Right now he's free. And so, I mean, I I honestly, I forget what even happens next. Mm -hmm. So, like, because it's been long enough since I've seen all these. So while I can remember broad strokes of like storylines and stuff, I don't remember specifically what happens when Lee comes back. So like definitely if there's going to be someone to sort of stand up to Ty, it's going to be him. 
you know, mm-hmm. other than Adama. Like, you'd like to think that even Adama wouldn't have gotten to this point. Mm-hmm. Right. But then again, Adama was the one who threw Rosin in the brig in the first place, so. Right. Maybe. Well, which maybe. kind of, again, brings up uh, the idea of, I think in the first episode of the season, we talked about, like, to what extent is Ty emulating Adama in his decisions as like commander and everything and he kind of says at first when you say oh, i'd never declare martial law because adama hated right. it i don't yeah, hate it but adama right opinions right but he has an awareness of what he thinks adama would do and then you know his decision and i find it very telling at the end that it's you know i've declared martial law get these people the hell off my ship you know and right starting it from his speech again in the first episode of this is a Dama ship. It will be his ship till he dies. You know, it's not a Dama yeah. ship anymore. Now it's Ty's ship and he's well, and, calling the shots now. And going back to Ellen, then it, you know, begs the question of how much is she influencing him in all of this? Right. You know, I mean, I don't think it's a far cry to think a lot. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, right. like the answer to that question is a lot. She's she's influencing him a lot in this. Right. Um, Certainly, that's that's oh, yeah. the the she's appealing to that aspect of him of you know, uh, that you know the the school teacher's mind has gone bye bye. The VP's either missing or dead. That leaves you in unchallenged command of the ship and the fleet. So, you know, definitely, uh, she is encouraging that that you know desire in him to be kind of unchallenged so yeah um yeah cool i think that kind of wraps it up but um yeah i like the way that the two stories in this sort of interact um Mm -hmm. and how okay the kind of cobalt mini arc of of that group is sort of done, but it speaks to and kind of sets up questions for the larger story of back in the fleet. Um, I think yeah. it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's a really interesting kind of episode that way. Yep. Definitely. All right. Well, we should move on to Buffy. We should. Yes. Um, all the way. Uh, so yes, yeah, we should move all the way to Buffy. All the way over to Buffy. Um, so let's start with Dawn because it's really kind of very Dawn focused, and you know the title kind of points to that. Um, and there's mm-hmm. you know a double entendre there um, of you know what it means to go all the way, and this is sort of Dawn's you know having her own little rebellious you know. Uh, plot this episode um Mm -hmm. so yeah kind of wanted to start with her and uh it kind of starts out it it you know sorry were you gonna and and i do just want to point out one thing because um we do learn uh i don't i don't remember if we ever really knew what grade dawn was in in Mm -hmm. season five Mm -hmm. but now we learn that she she is in high school she's in ninth grade Mm-hmm. Which is the year of when Buffy became a Slayer. So I just want to point that out. Ah, like, uh, interesting. 
so so before she moved to Sunny, so before the series, when she moves to Sunnydale, she starts as a sophomore. But when you go back to like the movie or the script that Joss wrote, which right. is canonical, right? Because we, there's the whole like the script was turned into the comic and whatnot. Like so that's part of the canonical experience of Buffy. Mm-hmm. Buffy was a freshman in high school mm-hmm. when she became a Slayer. So just just want to point out that like like now we're like this is Dawn at Buffy's mm-hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer age, you know. Right. So anyway, just just sort of noting that now that we sort of have that confirmation here, you know, of what grade she's in and whatever. I don't think it had been mentioned yet. I can't remember. Up until I feel like her age was maybe mentioned, but maybe not specifically what grade she was in. So um sure. that's a good point. Sure. And I had kind of been thinking around that, but that kind of confirms the things I'd been thinking about um, of Dawn's sort of desire to be, uh, you know, act what she perceives as a certain age. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and I think her idea, an image of what that is, is very much informed by Buffy and or at least her, what she thinks Buffy is and what Buffy did at her age. Um, you know, so, you know, so to kind of not beat around the bush too much, you know, you get like, okay, Dawn's, you know, starting out, you know, at, at Buffy's age now in like freshman year of high school. And this is sort of, you know, she doesn't go out and seek vampires necessarily, but this is sort of analogous to, you know, Buffy getting mixed up with with Angel or, you know, becoming more exposed mm-hmm. to these like more dangerous and worldly things and her and the kind of danger of that being sort of inseparable from like the excitement of wanting to be grown up and to, you know, you know, be independent and try new things and all this sort of thing. Um, yeah. You know, so it is an interesting kind of parallel. And I feel like even though it doesn't, the whole episode doesn't start with Dawn necessarily, they kind of, there was definitely things I noticed, certainly the second time around of kind of setting her up. Um, You know, you get another instance of her stealing. Um, You know, she Mm -hmm. kind of pockets something in the magic shop, which we've seen a few times before. Um, So, you know, you get that. There's her little... uh, mention of you know they're all dressed up for halloween and you know halloween's so lame you know so there's that there's that port sort of you know period of adolescence after you're where you're too cool for the kids stuff but before you're adult enough to not care about being too cool for the kids stuff that dawn's kind of entering that period um you know where halloween's for kids which means i'm not a kid anymore so don't sort of you know, and wanting to help with the research and being included as one of the sort of grown-up Scoobies and all that. Um, uh, you know, and even her reaction to, uh, you know, the engagement, you know, her kind of being interested in kind of like what it's like to be with someone in a serious relationship and get, you know, engaged and kind of... Um, her being kind of fascinated by that, um, you know, and kind of considering, you know, uh, you're so lucky, you know, that that's a kind of, 
you know, thing that she's thinking about as, you know, a desirable thing is to, you know, find a guy and get to that point. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so well, she certainly, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I just to add to that too, like, it's like, I, I don't, I was, I was the oldest sibling, so I don't know how it is, you know, for younger siblings, but I could definitely see, like, I, I definitely remember like my brother's, saying like oh well curtis gets to do this or that um and and being you know wanting to wanting to do those things but there was all there's also like there's also the sense that like sometimes the older sibling has to grow up quicker mm. you know and it just for whatever reason and now it, it's complicated by the fact that you know don was created magically <laughs> so like Right. You know, there's a lot of memories and stuff there that were sort of implanted or whatever. But there's also the sense that, like, I mean, Buffy literally did have to grow up quicker, mm -hmm. you know, just even in in the last year because of the mother, their mother's sickness and, um, you know, death and, and all of that. And but there's also then like the Slayer aspect of it. And I I mean, I think you were kind of talking about this anyway, so sorry if I'm like restating what you said um but just like that aspect of like not everyone is the slayer and like the slayer's sort of life and expectations and all all those things that are together like we're told are all put sort of on her whoever the slayer is mm -hmm. you know it's really compressed and they grow up really fast and they also die very young so mm -hmm. like like there is that sense of like, you know, yeah, Buffy was like maybe going out more and doing this or that, but one, it was a different dynamic as like the older sibling or the only sibling, however you want to look at it. Yeah. Um, and like she had superpowers, you know, so she wasn't necessarily going to get into the same kinds of trouble, or at least if she got in the same kind of trouble as Dawn was, she would have been much better able to sort of defend herself mm -hmm. from those sorts of things. So whether Dawn likes that or not, or anyone else likes that or not, like those are just sort of the realities of the situation. And I think maybe as the younger sibling, it's maybe harder to see that because of your perspective is just like, oh, well, Buffy was however old when she right. started dating a vampire. So I should be allowed to start dating vampires. Too. Right. Right. You know, or right. whatever. Everything looks like a double standard from where she's sort of standing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it kind of is, but to Buffy's point, it's also very different. Like, right. Yeah. Right. Right. Anyway. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, so she knows that this kind of experimentation, do we call it, um, is not, uh, you know, going to be well received, you know, so she does the kind of classic thing, as Xander puts it, you know, of they, oh, I'm going to her house, she's yeah. going to my house, we go to neither house and we go out. Um, and And we've seen 
the the core Scoobies do that exact thing. Right. Like, there's right. been an episode. There were episodes where Xander and Willow did that exact thing with right. their own parents. Like, right. Like this isn't. Again, like if we're right. talking not double reinventing standards, reinventing the wheel here. Yeah. It, it is a double standard because they did that same exact thing. Right. Right. <laughs> For different re reasons, maybe different motivations, but it's still the same thing, you know? Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, she goes out to meet uh, this friend Janice. And it seems like Janice already knows one of the guys that they meet. Like, they've been going out or seeing each other for a while. Or There's, um, there's always that friend who... Who has, who knows the people. Who you know. knows people. Um, well, and interesting little tidbit, you know, that uh, they introduced on to, you know, her guy, Justin. And she says, you know, oh, I've seen you at parties. And he says, oh, I've seen you too. So apparently there have been other parties, you know, which is not something we've right. really been privy to. Like, you get the impression that, again, these are maybe parties that Buffy isn't aware that Dawn is going to um or she went to when buffy was dead or she went to when buffy was dead that's a good point um yeah but like these aren't necessarily like approved parties these are like you know that again like the stealing this is stuff that dawn's been kind of doing quietly you know for a little while um so uh yeah, and I think you pointed out, um, bef like, after we were recording uh, last week, that this is, a, you know, a Halloween episode and everything. So you get the allusion to the fact that it's safer in the sense that there aren't, there shouldn't be monsters around. Although, as Buffy points out, there are always monsters around. It's just that we tend to find them rather than, you know, them being out on the streets. Um but, you right. know, I definitely get, even though it's Halloween, I get a definite kind of, like, mischief night uh, vibe to, you know, what the the kids get up to. You know, it's kind of, they're not just, like, they're not really going to a party. They're not really just hanging around talking. It's like, let's go out and, you know, vandalize things. You know, we'll, like, throw some, you know, let air out of some tires and throw some eggs at houses and, you know, that kind of thing. Um Right. So, like, you know, these are kind of the wrong crowd, let's say. Like, this isn't, you know, just friends that I'm sneaking out with. It's that these are kind of, you know, slightly older, you know, a little bit more um, experienced, you know, friends that, you know, Dawn is sort of looking to hang sure. around and everything. Sure. Um So, yeah. Um, actually, before we go on, um, should definitely mention um, Amber Tamblin, who played Janice. Mm. So, um, just, I mean, not that she's like superstar or anything, but she went on, probably her most notable role is um, she starred in Joan of Arcadia. Uh, mm -hmm. just a couple years after this. Um, but she's also been in a number of other shows. She was a recurring character on a season of House, um, or mm -hmm. a season or two, I think. I can't remember exactly. Um, two and a Half Men. Um, she also starred in a show that I thought was really good, but only lasted a season, The Unusuals, um, 
where mm-hmm. uh, I don't have you ever seen that one with um, no uh, 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 oh Michael from Lost and I can't think of his name off the top of my head oh um, Harold Perrineau or uh, yeah yeah Harold Perrineau yeah um, so anyway I it's a, it's a it, it's a pretty decent show he plays kind of a funny guy in that anyway so mm-hmm. um and jeremy renner's in that as well actually so for another weird oh, connection um from the one episode of angel there that he was in so um and also the avengers and stuff but um mm-hmm. anywho uh yeah so just wanted to sort of mention her as an actress there this, this is the only episode she's in so we don't see mm-hmm. her again, but uh notable enough to at least mention Mm -hmm. uh her stuff there yeah i don't think i the name is familiar but i don't think i know her well enough to really like recognize her so yeah Um, and i i mean i just remember i remember the show joan of arcadia it started in 2003 so just a couple years after this mm -hmm. um and and um again i really liked the unusuals so like i know her i know her best i think personally from that i didn't watch joan of arcadia um mm-hmm. but uh and I, I remember like just based on when i saw buffy for the first time was 2009 which is the same year that the unusuals came out so okay yeah that's kind of how i, I was like oh she looks really familiar right right whatever but yeah again she's not like necessarily big star or anything i don't even know what she's doing at this point but um if anything but just figured mention it Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, back to the story, though. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah. Well, so before the, I was going to go on, but before that, you're getting, you know, there's a kind of slow unraveling of kind of the reveal of the episode, you know, so you're getting little side allusions to, you know, what's really going on and you know what these really these people really are underneath and everything um so you get the guys kind of you know the girls are off talking about you know what do you what do you think you know of him and everything um and the guys are doing the same thing but you know you get these cryptic allusions to going all the way um you know so you're kind of set up to think you know that this is going to be justin you know, getting Dawn, you know, to, uh, you know, go all the way and have, you know, sex with him, which I'm not saying Justin wouldn't also do that as well, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a red herring to kind of put you off of the trail of what they're really talking Mm -hmm. about. Um, you know, and again, we're getting the not new metaphor of, you know, the kind of sexual undertones of the vampires and everything. Um, sure. You know, which again, going back to Buffy and Angel is part of, you know, their allure in the first place. Like that's why, you know, Dawn is sort of interested in it anyways. You know, it's kind of exciting and everything. Um, mm. So yeah, but before we get that reveal, they go... The other thing that's being teased, at least in the first part of the episode, is this old guy. Um, you know, I think they call him like old man Colton Bach or something. Um, mm. And it's this 
it doesn't really kind of go anywhere other than as a kind of smoke screen for the vampire plot. Um, but they kind of lead you in, into trying to figure out like what exactly is this guy's deal. And it kind of seems like he's going to be like the villain of the episode and everything. Um, you know, it starts out with him like talking about, Oh, the, the, you know, the surprises he has for the kids and, you know, um, sure. you know, creepy old man inviting kids into his house for treats on Halloween and everything. Um, you know, and everything he says is kind of like suggestive, like, you know, daddy's got a treat and, you know, and like, we never really find out why they took his toys away. Like he says, oh, one mistake and they took the toys and it's kind of like, okay, you know, how scared are we supposed to be of this guy? You know, but then obviously it all turns out to be like, he's just an old man who likes kids and wants to give them Rice Krispie treats, you know, and he like his big scary knife is to like cut up the desserts and everything. Um, and he ends up the victim of, you know, the vampires. Um, so yeah, I don't know that I have much more to say about him really. It kind of seems like he's there as a distraction for, for the, the reality of the vampires, but I don't know if, there was more that you had to say about him. Yeah, no, no, not really. I mean, yeah, he's kind of a, Kaltenbach is just sort of a, a red herring. Like, because you're thinking he's going to be the bad guy and then he's not. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know that there's much to say beyond that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, yeah, you know, they kind of dare Dawn into throwing, like, a pumpkin at his house, and, you know, she gets caught, and they go. So it's like, you know, and then Justin says he stole his wallet when he really, you know, bit him and, you know, killed him and everything. Um, So they're kind of getting up to more mischief. Uh, And then they go parking, um, you know, as as teenagers do. Um, And... Uh, Janice and Zach run off, you know, and she's kind of playfully running away and teasing him. And, you know, it turns into, you know, a real chase, you know, not just like a game of tag. So he kind of, you know, by the time Giles catches up, he's already like bitten her and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. But with with Justin and with Don, he's not as eager to necessarily just use her as one of his victims. Like, you know, he starts with all the talking about how different she is, how special she is, you know, and you kind of get that, again, this is the idea of going all the way that, you know, certain, you know, maybe they do this with a lot of girls. They kind of take them out and show them a good time and then they have their snack when they're done. Um, but mm. with Dawn, there's something special about her that, you know, makes him want to go all the way, which is to turn her and not just bite and kill her, but, you know, make her into a vampire too. Um, and she is at least thinking about it. You know, the, there's the, uh, kind of fear and, you know, flight response when she first realizes what he is but then you know 
after that, there's definitely some temptation, you know, of thinking about sure. what what might happen if I just sort of let this happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely some curiosity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, again, with double standards, it's not like, you know, Buffy's never had that curiosity before either. Um, you know, maybe she didn't and kind of invite it quite as, you know, as much as Dawn seems to hear, but the idea of, of what might happen, you know, is definitely, I think, something that Buffy has experienced, you know, had that thought cross her mind. Yeah. Um, and like you said, like, there's sort of the running aspect of, you know, the whole vampire metaphor being having a sexual component to it. So, mm -hmm. you know, you get the sense that there's sort of that allure and desire and, you know, yeah, like first time, oh, right. maybe it'll be okay. Like, like certainly not the first time where we've seen sort of people enthralled just by the idea of being bitten, mm -hmm. you know, by a vampire. So, right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but yeah. so sorry. Go ahead. It doesn't. They don't go all the way, you know, because the the grown ups, you know, interrupt um, and come to the rescue, and they get a lecture from Buffy about parking. Um, you know, parking with right. vampires, parking with guys. You know, you just met and everything. Um, so. Yeah, and, um, you know, there's the big ensuing battle. And, you know, I like how there are two people who are there just to make out. Like, you know, there's, like, one pair that aren't vampires. And then, you know, they take off and the rest of them are all, you know, sort of vampires. But, um, but... <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a funny moment where it's like, oh, this is where all the vampires go to park. Yeah, like... yeah. Except for this one couple who just happened to stumble into, you know, the the prime spot and everything. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, and, and Dawn is the one to, you know, stake him in the end, you know, so again, you're kind of, you know, led for a moment to think, oh, is she still tempted? Is she still going to let him do it? And maybe she is still tempted, but she doesn't let him do anything. She, you know, Let's him get in sure. close and then, you know, tricks him so that she can stake him and everything. But you still get that sense of there's not triumph there. There's some regret, you know, there's some kind of, well, yeah. that would have, you know, that that wasn't an easy, you know, decision for her to make. And she's sorry that she had to do it, you know, and, you know, I think she, I kind of believe her when we, you know, when, when he, when she says, I thought you really liked me, and he said, I do, and you like me too, and she says, I do, I don't think she's totally lying there, you know. Um, you know, part of it is to lead him on so that she can stake him, but there's also, I think, part of her that kind of wishes maybe she could have maybe had a vampire boyfriend of her own like Buffy had. Um, sure. You know... I don't know. I mean, maybe you disagree, but that's, that was my impression anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think the curiosity is gone. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, I, like even, it, you know, I think it's one of those things where you definitely, you definitely get the sense of, you know, she, well, kind of like what you said earlier that, you know, she's sort of exploring what it means to have to go steady, if you will, or to, you know, have someone that you care enough for to, you know, let you in in that way, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and have that experience with. And I mean, that's one of the hardest things is knowing when, when, is, when someone's sincere, when is a boy a nice boy and when is he just looking for, you know, a quickie or whatever, you know, right. like a, a, a conquest or, or what. And even if that is what he's looking for, like, is that still okay or whatnot? Like, I mean, I, you know, those are the sorts of questions that I'm sure every, or at least most teenagers go through. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I have any great insight there, but I, I think, I think to ascribe simple emotions to that moment would be wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, even if it's not, I mean, maybe we can't nail down exactly the right mixture like yeah I, I i do think it is a mixture certainly so i would i would agree with what you said basically i guess the long way of saying that i agree as usual should be used to that <laughs> one. um so yeah so buffy and giles come along um point out giles gets more vampires than buffy in this particular fight um not that it's a count thing but i believe he gets three and and she takes care of two interesting um i yeah i neither here nor there just giles hasn't lost all of his hasn't lost his bad, touch badassery yeah. yeah um yeah they call him grandpa but he can still sort of hold his yeah. own yeah. yeah um yeah no and, i think uh giles and buffy are interesting kind of set in this episode of you know uh you know, this question, which has become rather muddied of what is their relationship to each other and who is the responsible, you know, adult in this situation? Um, you know, uh, sure. and uh, I feel very conflicted because I know that uh, Anthony Head is still in the kind of guest credits and I don't want him to... <laughs> leave the show but <laughs> on the other hand my love for him and for giles aside there does seem to be a thing here of buffy as long as he's around buffy can't yeah. be the grown-up um or she won't assume that or it whoever whoever you want to blame you know or if you want to blame anyone it, it it seems like that is going to be a hard situation to resolve, you know, um, yeah. oh, because yeah. if he's there, she can uh, skip out and know that, well, there's somebody else to take care of it, you know, whether it's going to patrol. And so not being there when they find out that, you know, Dawn is missing, even though she knows she kind of doesn't need to patrol tonight. Um, mm. Or, you know, at the end, you know, of somebody needs to talk to Dawn 
You're right. And I'm glad you're here to do that for me, Giles. I'm going to head upstairs. Right. Um, right. You know, and Giles, right on that. <laughs> Giles being aware that she's taking advantage of him, but not necessarily at this point being able to stop it or confront it um, and sort of well, allowing it to exist, at least for the time being. And and I would add that there seems to be, like, I, I think, you know, it's one of those things where, like, the situation needs to be addressed now. But the situation of Dawn, mm. you know, and her right. punishment needs to be addressed now. So, which means now is not the time to address right. this other situation with Buffy of, hey, right. you need to be a grown-up because you're an adult now and your mother's not here which is harsh, but also true. Right. Um, so I think it's, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's necessarily that, like if Don didn't need to be taken care of, then he could address that with Buffy. But of course, mm-hmm. it's the fact that Don does need to be, you know, punished or whatever, or talked to, which is setting up Buffy's ability to sort of mm. issue her own responsibility. So, it's kind of a right. chicken and egg thing there. Like if, if, yeah, if Don didn't need to be chastised, then there would be no reason to chastise Buffy as well. <laughs> right. Well, and it seems to me that whether it's Don or something else, there's always going to be something that has to be addressed. Like, I wonder if is the, is when is going to be the right time for that? Or is it going to be sure. like, okay, we go from kind of from crisis to crisis of, you know, there's financial problems that have to be resolved. Buffy needs a job, yeah. and that needs to be resolved. But now there's Dawn. Funny and- how, funny how these crises just pop up like every week. Yeah, it's amazing, like clockwork, um, on Thursdays or whatever. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, I think Mondays at this point. Okay, that's fine. But uh, but it seems like yes, that is true. That like this is the immediate crisis. But is that? It seems like we've had again, one immediate crisis after the other, and how long does that can get kicked down the road? Um, right. You know, is Giles always going to take care of the immediate crisis rather than confront the situation? Um, you know, or where is that 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 line, that breaking point? Um, sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we don't hear the full extent of his lecture to Dawn, but he's... He's not happy. Um, and it's that kind of very quiet, not happy, that's scarier that, you know, of like, right. you know, he, he is, even though he's not their dad, he's good, good with the kind of guilt inducing, you know, lecture and everything. Um, yeah. Um, so to kind of transition a bit over to Buffy and Spike, you know, so we've had this kind of increasing understanding between Buffy and Spike of him being the only one that she can really share with. And even she said recently, he's the only one that she really even feels she can stand to be around anymore. Um, and now we're starting to see that kind of manifest itself in a way Um in a way, like not as dangerous as what Dawn's doing, but in a way being kind of similar in the kind of, I'm going to do 
what I want in the moment and what's not necessarily the most responsible or what I should be doing, you know? Um, You know, it kind of seems like patrolling with Spike is now a way of avoiding a lot of other things that she doesn't want to be thinking about. On on a night when historically there is nothing to patrol for anyway. Right. So it's a flimsy excuse at best, yeah. Now, granted, this is our third and final, I'll say, uh, Halloween that we've seen. Um, I mean, there have been more Halloweens that have passed. We just haven't seen them all. But mm-hmm. at least three now where the the rule of, you know, baddies don't come out didn't quite, right. you know, stand. Right. So, I mean, it's not like entirely unprecedented that maybe Buffy should be patrolling but mm-hmm. at the same token like the the conventional wisdom and apparently the understanding not just among like Giles and those people but among like the vampires themselves is that right they stay in for Halloween um, right right you know we get we get spike kind of like yeah shaking his head at the other vampire saying why why did you have to come out tonight even you know, yeah, we could have avoided all of this. You give the rest of us a bad name. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> and Spike's, uh, well, if he doesn't have patrolling, he'll watch The, the Great Pumpkin. <laughs> um, right. Which seems, you know, uh, fair enough. Um, but yeah, he's looking... You know, so Buffy's using that as an excuse for all these other things that she's avoiding, but Spike's now in on it and looking forward to it too. Of you know, so he kind of comes saying, uh, you know, not meaning it euphemistically, although Buffy sort of takes it that way, but comes in saying, you know, so we're are we going to do the rough and tumble? Like you know, so that's their thing now. As we go, right? We go patrolling together, you know, and and that's a thing that he's kind of looking forward to, um, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. So uh, so Giles is the grown up. Is the answer to our question of who's the, who's the grown up? Um, at this point, it's it's not Buffy, and I I am somewhat. Uh, sadly skeptical of to whether she can do that as long as Giles is still there um, fulfilling that role or whether she needs to be in the situation where she has only herself to sort of rely on for that to really, you know, come to flourish and everything. Sure. Um, mm. All right. So moving on to the other Scooby couples, um, who also have some complicated relationships uh, this episode. Yeah, um, sure. We get uh, Willow and Tara. Um, so Tara's mentioned to Willow uh, her kind of concerns about the levels of magic um, and even the amount of magic that, uh, you know, Willow's been using. Um, and Giles yeah. got very angry, you know, over the magic that she did, you know, you know, resurrecting Buffy and everything. Um, so now yeah. there's this, so she's yeah. had this kind of lecture, let's call it, from both of them. And now in this, you know, even when she does things like decorates with magic, you get little glances between Giles and Tara, you know, of, 
you know, yeah. kind of an understanding there. So, you know, maybe that's all it is, is glances. But now it's become this thing where, from Willow's perspective, uh, they won't leave her alone. They're talking behind her back. They're, They're nagging. This, this yeah. united, yeah. Um, this united buzzkill that's just, you know, you know, bringing her down, you know, in in all of her you know, glory and everything. And, and she really can't see the problem here. You know, everything mm. she does is useful and safe and helps people. And, you know, why, what's the problem? Um, yeah. So yeah. Except that you get, you, you get that maybe not all of it is quite as safe as she is implying. Sure. So like, okay, yeah. maybe, maybe, Manifesting some easily biodegradable, you know, decorations isn't, like, that big of a deal. But, like, when they're looking for Dawn, her solution is to, like, shift Shifting everyone else everyone. temporarily into another dimension, like, yeah. for a split second. Like, do you not see how that could possibly right. go wrong? Right. Like, yeah, so no, I definitely that that threw me for a loop of like what now? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, or or like the yeah. casual like oh I'm just gonna mute everyone you know right. so I don't have to hear them at the moment like like you almost get the sense of it it's that casualness like Tara who has been around and and doing magic for much longer mm -hmm. is you know talk talk about like the true believers right like we were talking about with BSG like. Like, that's Tara. Tara's mm -hmm. the true believer. She's, like, the true practitioner, the one who has always been around magic, like, trusts magic, like, relies on it, but also sort of knows its powers and the responsibilities that go with it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you don't use a leaf blower to, like, sweep your kitchen. You know what I mean? Like, because right. it's just too much. And, and, you know, it's just better to kind of use a broom that's a terrible analogy but you know what i mean like <laughs> sure like it's that kind of thing of of like there are situations where it's okay to use magic because you're helping someone or whatever and willow kind of twist that and say well it makes people happy and isn't that helpful like mm -hmm. i mean you could almost maybe use a drug analogy of like okay like you know we use drugs to help people feel better and not be sick and it's like, oh, well, so it's okay to just, like, pop that volume if it makes me feel better, even though I might not technically be in pain or feel right. ill or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, it's it's that sort of that sort of thing where, oh, it's okay if I do it just a little, <laughs> you right. know? Like, be, you know, because it's it's okay. Like, the I can stop at any time, right. you know? Like, no, I, and that's I, the, sort the of, thing is, is just a little becomes a lot. You know, now yeah. it becomes, because I think that's a big part of it is, yes, there are certain things she's doing that are dangerous and she's not admitting to, but Tara seems just as concerned about the perfectly, like, little innocuous things because it's the volume of it. It's that, it's not just, like, is and, there... And, the, and I think the thoughtlessness of it, too. Sure. Like, yeah. like, like Willow's like, oh, I'll just decorate and it's right. fine. And it's like, well... We could have just run out to the store. Right. Like, right. That would have been just as easy. Or, I mean, maybe not just as easy, but it, you know. Right. It would have been easy enough. Like, yeah. Right. 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 And, so and, now things that seem harmless individually are 
it's suddenly when it's everything, it, it takes on a different color. And, and yeah, I definitely think that it's, it's that casualness, the sort of flippancy, like think about even back in the early seasons when Willow was first starting to dabble, like she had the books out and she was like reading stuff and it's like, all right, we got to set this up and, you know, do everything perfectly. And now it's just like, Oh, you know, say a word. And like, you know, the, the, all the sound leaves the room or, you know, you can't hear it anyway. It like creates a Mm -hmm. little sound bubble for you. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, just the number of times she does magic in this episode, you know, there's the decorations, there's the sound thing. Um, uh, What was, there was another one. And then there's the one at the end where um, she says, let's forget. And she places something under Tara's pillow and suddenly Tara is not angry anymore. And it's like, well, yeah, that can't be good. No, no, that's quite, you know, a violation. I mean, like, yeah, now, okay, we're not talking about it being, I mean, I guess it could be dangerous in the sense that you're messing with somebody's memory, but there's, there's an ethical problem here. There's a problem of, of violated, you know, consent and manipulation that's going on. And, um, for, for purely selfish you know, there's no, there's no way she's helping right. anybody by, you know, you can't convince yourself yeah. that this is helpful except to yourself and, and, but not yeah. to resolve wants, an issue, but, but to make it conveniently go away. Right. She just wants to get out of an argument with her. Well, let's, I mean, let's face it. Anyone who's ever had a significant other has wanted to just like snap right. their fingers and have arguments stop. Like, right. right. yes, I, I totally understand right. the desire for that. Right. But she can like, do that it. That's mean it's the a difference. Good thing. Yeah. Right. And 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 it doesn't resolve the issue. Like the right. other, and actually, so I wasn't even I had never really, I think, thought about it this way, but you have sort of the Giles thing where he's not sort of addressing the underlying issue of mm. Buffy relying on him. And now you have Willow not addressing that underlying issue of what not wanting not wanting to be inconvenienced being annoyed like ty is annoyed like <laughs> right. kind of in a way right. like that's willow declares martial law bit. in this like, episode yeah yeah like I, it's not that far apart in in kind i mean certainly yeah. in in magnitude it's different but yeah you know yeah yeah right to not be questioned you know because that's really that's really her annoyance is about uh, I've told you I can handle it and that it's, it's, I'm in control and nothing's dangerous. Why don't you believe me? How dare you question when I tell you something, you know? Sure. Um, it's that annoyance of having other people not totally, absolutely take her word completely on trust, you know, uh, you know, that, that has her angry, I think. Um, sure. yeah. And if they won't stop questioning me and they won't get, and they're going to be mad about it. Um, how do we fix that? Well, I can control them, you know, and control what they mm. believe and what they remember. And that sort of, yeah, that does put her uncomfortably close to Ty in this episode. <laughs> I mean, it seems a ridiculous comparison, but in the same token. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about willful, forceful control of other people you know whether by 
whether by, you know, manipulating their thoughts or, you know, having the most guns. So, um, sure. yeah, it's, it's not, it's, it's certainly in the same ballpark, I think. Um, yeah, so we'll have to see. I mean, obviously the underlying issue is unresolved, but Tara is, we'll have to see to what extent she's, does he, does she just forget this one instance and then is upset about it, about something else the next day? Or, or is this an ongoing thing where, you know, Willow has to keep manipulating her in order to keep the issue from coming back up? We'll have to kind of see how that goes. Um, yeah. So seemingly more in sync, but maybe also having some unaddressed underlying issues. <laughs> We have mm -hmm. Xander and Anya, um, yeah. who start out on a high note. Um, you know, Anya is in her kind of rare form of, uh, you know, post-sale <laughs> kind of bliss. Um, I, I just have to say, I, I love the uh, her dance of capitalist superiority. <laughs> which is, that's the thing that, it's watching her do that, that Xander says, <laughs> I'm going to marry that girl. And gets up and makes his announcement. Like this is the Anya of his right. dreams. Is is you know at her most sort of triumphant capitalist and everything, um, and that's what propels him to his feet. And he makes his announcement that he's been putting yeah. off all season, um, which seems great. Anya is certainly uh, over the moon, um, but as the episode goes on you know, some of that reluctance from Xander is, is creeping back in. Um, and you're kind of, again, getting the sense that he just conveniently forgot he had some hesitations. He didn't necessarily resolve that issue. Um, you know, because they're all talking about, you know, it's all the things about responsibility and, you know, we like, the actual wedding planning and having kids and getting a house and all the, the fact that it'll be for the rest of your lives and all that kind of thing. Um, he's not necessarily less freaked out by that than he was before he made this announcement, but now he's made it. So he's sort of publicly committed to the idea <laughs> and he can't, you know, sure. makes it harder to have that conversation with Anya now that we've announced it to everybody. Um, so yeah, sorry that somebody blocked their car and the horn beeped. Um, <laughs> it's all your fault. So yeah. Um, um, so Anya's line about, you know, her, her kind of tempting fate line about I'm the luckiest ex demon in the world to find the one person in all dimensions that I was meant to be with and have everything work out exactly as I dreamed. I mean, how often does the universe allow that to happen? And, you know, you kind of think to yourself, well, never. Um, the, the universe, maybe. The Whedonverse? Yeah, right? <laughs> the god of this universe does not allow that to happen. And even if, okay, even if things work out happily, how often does the universe give you everything exactly as you dreamed? Never. Nobody ever gets that. Um, sure. So there is that sense of okay, there's a, maybe another shoe to be dropped here. Um, and it's maybe not all as perfect and ordered as, you know, 
as Anya is feeling in the moment. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. And again, Xander, you know, I'm wallowing, not drowning. He says, trying to convince himself, um, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a lot. I didn't kind of realize it before we recorded, but that seems to be the thing between all the different, you know, characters in this episode is not confronting and talking about underlying worries and, you know, issues that they have with each other. Um, yeah. you, which you could always say makes none things of better. Them, you could say none of them go all the way. Ah. I you could say that. That's good. I like it. Yeah. And on that note, I'm done. You're not going to top that. Good night. <laughs> like George, end on a high note. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, I don't. I Sorry. I don't. You may have had more to say. I no. I mean, I think that kind of sums it up. I think that's, <laughs> uh, that's about as good a conclusion as we are going to find. All righty. Well, then, we'll be back with some more BSG. We'll, we'll get to see what Lee does when he comes back to a state of martial law. Yeah. <laughs> uh, within the fleet. And, uh, yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll get some Angel. Yes. As well. I know. I saw that uh, the, the musical is next with Buffy, but I have to wait a week and talk about Angel first. Which I'm happy to do. That's but, right. But I'm really happy that we're finally, we're finally there. Episode of Buffy. Wow. Wow. That went fast. Yeah. That went real fast. Well, I don't know about fast, but fast I mean, in the season. It took, us, it took us more than three years, but <laughs> yes. All right. Fast well, in the season yeah, be, anyway. It feels like be, that came around pretty quickly. Before that. Uh, we have an episode of Angel titled Offspring. Hmm. And we may or may not have any understanding of what that means. Okay. But until then. Uh, sounds good. See you then. Mm -hmm.